Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Great to have you all here today, and thank you, Pastor Scott. And uh, I just want to give a shout-out to some unsung heroes who uh, show up every week and clean this place up. And Lisa and her team were here yesterday. Uh, faithfully, they come in and do a deep clean. Yeah, go ahead. Give them a big round of applause. Uh, they're, they're anointing everything with Lysol. Amen. You know, it's kind of a new day and time and uh, making sure that it's clean and ready for all of us. So, again, we thank her, Jock, the team, everybody who works so faithfully in all the areas of ministry. And, and welcome today and thank you for being here. Man, you look wonderful. Uh, you look better than the group that was here last year, last week, right? Isn't that good to hear? So uh, just reach over and say hey to somebody nearby. You don't have to touch them. Don't have to shake their hand. We're trying to keep that social distance. But say hello. Smile at somebody. Tell them how good they look today. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. We thank you for coming out and being a part. God's doing great things. Things are still a little different. Some people still choosing to watch at home. Some are just braving it and coming out to the campus for the last four or five weeks. But nevertheless, we're glad you're here. And God's going to do some great things today. We're in the third week of a study uh, on Revelation, uh, it's all about the end of time and, and when all this is going to be over as we know it. And, and uh, last week, Pastor Scott took us through some great things. And this morning, I want to take you through the next segment of that. Um, years ago, I uh, was on a vacation, uh, on a cruise. Anybody ever been on a cruise? See your hands up high. How many of you like to be on another cruise uh, sometime soon when all this virus stuff is over with? Because, man, it is amazing. They treat you like royalty. And, and, and I, I, I'm a little different. I'm not into breakfast that much. How many of you can feel me? Not many. That's what I thought. Yeah, m most of you people love your bacon, eggs, sausage, all that good stuff, pancakes, waffles, uh, you know, all that traditional stuff. I don't eat that very often. Once in a blue moon, I'll have breakfast foods, typical breakfast foods. Uh, my normal breakfast every morning is a pack of peanut butter crackers, right? How many of you like that? Now, I do like some deep-fried liver mush. I am true Southern, you know, and that's some good stuff. It's got to be fried crispy. But I was on a cruise ship uh, one time on vacation, and I'd gotten up early and went and ran, <laughs> did some laps on the, on the track up, upstairs. And, and when, I, when I finished up, I went down to get a little snack. Now, sometimes on a cruise ship, I'll have pizza for breakfast. Actually, a lot of times. How many of you love eating pizza for breakfast? There's my people right there, all five of us. Okay, so this morning I had a piece of pizza uh, this particular morning that I finished up a run and, and, and enjoyed that. And, and, and then after the pizza, and it's like 8.30, the ice cream machine was calling my name. And so naturally I gave in and, and I went over there because I had ran like five miles that morning. I felt like I had earned it. So I go over there and fix me not a little cone. You know what I'm talking about? They have the little cones there. You can get a little cone of ice cream, but they also have bowls. This girl's tracking with me right here. She knows what I'm talking about. So I grab a big bowl and man, I fill it up with chocolate. Amen. Because chocolate's God's favorite. And so anyway, I'm sitting there eating my ice cream, and as I am, all the breakfast rushes finally getting out of bed and coming down, and they're walking by and they're looking at me. And I felt like standing up and saying, don't judge me. You, you ever felt like that? Have you noticed that the last number of years in our society, that's kind of become the mantra? That people just do whatever they want to do, and, and they always want to scream out, you can't judge me. Or don't judge me for this. Well, this morning in our continuing study, we're going to talk about just that. The judgment that is coming. Now, 
The coming judgments, they're going to happen for every single person who has ever drawn a breath on this earth. And I also want to take a moment to look at what heaven's going to be like. How many of you are fascinated at what heaven's going to actually be like? We've heard a lot of stuff. So, but, but let's face it, whether Jesus comes back in our lifetime, which is kind of looking like he's going to or not, the reality is, as we've discussed a couple of weeks ago, he is coming back again. Believe it. Mark it down. Live your life in that aspect, in that reality. So we're going to build a foundation in our study today by going to the last chapter of the book of Revelation. We'll also be looking at different verses. But Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13, the words of Jesus to us start out this way. Jesus said, Behold, I am what? I am coming. So there you are. Mark it down. And he says, I am coming soon. And as Pastor Scott talked about last week, time, according to us, is a lot different. A day is as a thousand years to God as he he walked us through. So he says, I'm coming soon. And Jesus said, what's going to be with him when he returns? Who said that? Ken, buy her lunch this, this afternoon, okay? You pay for her lunch for that. He said, I am going to bring my reward with me. And then he says, I'm going to give to everyone according to what? According to what they have done. So it begs to to question right here, what have I done? What am I doing, right? Because here Jesus addresses himself. It's red letters in your Bible. He says, I'm coming back. I'm going to bring my reward with me, and I'm going to give to everyone according to what they have done. He says at the end of this, this couple verses, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, if you're a new Christian, let me be very, very, very clear. We're not qualified for heaven by how good we are or the good things that we do, right? The truth is we are all sinners that are saved by God's amazing grace, and the only way that we're made right is by faith in Jesus Christ and the blood applied to our lives and cleansing us from our sins. We're made right with God by grace through faith. We're forgiven by Jesus, but those of you who are Christians, it's very important to know that although your works do not qualify you for heaven or me, the way that we live does determine how we are going to be rewarded in heaven because Jesus said it himself, I am coming and I am bringing with me what? Rewards. How many of you like the sound of that? How many of you are kind of nervous about that? Check this out. There's a preacher and a taxi driver. Both called home at the same time. And they get to heaven. And who's there to greet them? As legend says, St. Peter. Don't know if that's true. But, you know, just for the fact of this story, St. Peter's there. He brings them in. He's starting to escort them to their mansions. And he gets to this first mansion. And it's a, it's a quaint little three-bedroom, two-bath, small little mansion up on the hillside. And he says, Pastor, here's your place. And he looks at it, and he's like, you know, okay, that, that sounds good. And then, then we say, well, well, where's the taxi driver's place? And he says, well, it's right across the street from yours. And he looks up, and there's this, like, eight-bedroom, seven-bath, huge palatial place on the hillside that, that is swallowing his up. And, and the pastor don't understand. He said, I, I, not that I'm not happy to be here, not grateful for my place, but why the disparity in size and what, what's going on? And he said, well, pastor... One thing we noticed during y'all's time on earth, whenever you preached, lots of people fell asleep. Whenever this taxi driver drove people, lots of people prayed. So here you go. You ever been in one of those taxis? <laughs> Come on, people. You know what I'm talking about. That's all fake, of course. Don't, don't think that's real. 
How many of you are like me? When you was a kid, you was growing up, people say, man, when we get to heaven, there's going to be this giant movie screen. <laughs> and it's going to replay everything we've done, both good and bad. <laughs> As mostly your parents and grandparents say, so you better be good. Right? Man, I hope not. Because I'm just going to be honest with you, gut level honest, which I always try to do. There's a lot of things I don't want to see again that I've done. A lot of decisions I made, choices I made that, that were not right. And thank God, his mercy and grace has covered me and cleansed me. So what would the judgment be like? Now, we're going to look today at two different kinds of judgments. First one, if you're taking notes somewhere, and we're going to have some handouts again one of these days when it's safe, as they say, is the judgment seat of Christ. So what is it, and when, it's, when is it going to take place? Well, let's start with when it's going to take place. A lot of Bible scholars believe it's going to take place right after the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the Christian dead. And the reason they believe that is according to a, a little passage in a story that Jesus tells out of Luke chapter 14 in his teaching. He said this, hey, if you're throwing a dinner party, don't just invite your family and your friends and the rich people and the elites because they can all pay you back by inviting you to their parties. But here's what he says. Jesus goes on to tell us, instead invite the poor and the lame and the crippled because they cannot pay you back. But I, woohoo, here it comes. He says, but I will repay you and reward you. In verse 14, Jesus said, although they, the poor, cannot repay you, you will re be repaid or rewarded when? Here he, here he goes on and says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What is righteous? Right standing with God. Are you righteous? Because when we are resurrected, Jesus says himself, we are going to be rewarded. Now, a lot of people believe that the judgment seat is going to take place right after the rapture. And two weeks ago, we studied the righteous, those who are in Christ that are raised from the dead. They're going to be judged at that judgment seat of Christ. So where do we read about this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says this, and you want to go back and, and watch this again and listen to this again in, in the days ahead so you don't miss anything. It says, for we all must, and here's a word you want to write down, appear. Any of you ever had to go to court? You don't have to raise your hands on that one. We just kind of keep that on the down low. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to, yeah, pastor, I've been in court 14 times. You get this summons. You get this notice. You get this more than an invitation that you are scheduled to appear before the court on such and such date. Or right here in 2 Corinthians it says that we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. Man, that's amazing to think about. That one day we get an audience with God. How humbling is that? Now, most scholars believe, and I agree, that the judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for Christians only. And at that judgment seat of Christ, we're not judged for salvation or damnation. We've already been saved, but this is a judgment for rewarding you for all the good works that you have done on earth. And here's why people believe this. Because the Greek word translated as judgment seat is the word bima. You ever heard that, that term before? And it's spelled B-E-M-A. 
And the bema is not the seat where the judge sits to issue a verdict of guilt or innocence. But instead, it was the throne where the judge would sit to issue awards after the Grecian games, like the Olympic games of old. If the runners would run a race, the judge would sit at the bema seat and say, congratulations, here's the crown or the reef for first place. Here's the crown or the reef for second place. And here, the judge would issue awards for those who won the race or finished in the top of the heat. I remember when Kylie, our now 16-year-old, was running in Girls on the Run. Any of you a part of that program? Really neat program. Get them out exercising, running, ex- all that good stuff. And I remember she asked me to run in the, in the 5K with her they had at the airport. And I was excited about that because <laughs> there are no heels. It's just a flat runway surface, which I loved running back then. I was running a whole lot more than I am now, but I'm still trying to keep up. And so we ran that race, and I was so proud of her because she ran just about every step of that. She took one small break for like a minute to walk. And at the end of that, I I remember just them giving out these these awards to the girls, these these medals, and and they gave it to us and let us put it on them, and how, how proud I felt to put that on her neck and to reward her for a job well done, for the great work that she put in and the effort that she put in. And it was an amazing thing, and I just kind of feel like that's the way God's going to be with us when he's draping the rewards on us when we finish our race and break the tape. Amen? Now, we know from Scripture there are at least five different crowns. And if you've ever been in a pageant... You were vying for that crown, right, Scott? Scott's tried several times. He hadn't quite. The short joke last week, sorry, I had to pay you back. Okay, that's it. It's done. It's over. No more. No moss. We're, we're truce here. Okay, that crown that you, you work for, that you're shooting for. Well, listen, there's at least five crowns that the Bible talks about we will receive in heaven. And the first one is the incorruptible crown for those who run a faithful race, who are devoted to Christ in righteous living, will receive the incorruptible crown. Now, what's incorruptible means? It means that it's not going to be corrupted. (laughs) I know you're like, well, that's pretty obvious. It's not going to wither away. It's not going to rust. It's not going to fade away. You can't diminish that crown. And then there's the crown of rejoicing. Man, that sounds good, right? We love to rejoice for those who, and get this, write this on your arm, your hand, your face somewhere, for those who share their faith. If you invited a friend to church, if you shared your your testimony to somebody, if you're a light in your office or your neighborhood or your school, if you're a witness to others, there's going to be a crown for those who share the faith in Jesus Christ with other people. We could camp out on on that all day long. And maybe we should as a church. Because we are God's only plan for evangelism here on this earth, period. No other plan B, C, D, or E. There's nothing else. He's called us to go. He's called us to love. He's called us to be a light. He's called us to be what? A witness of his love and salvation. There is no other plan. So when we get to heaven, if we faithfully share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's going to be a crown of rejoicing that will be placed upon our heads. There's also the crown of righteousness for those who long for Christ's return. And I don't know about you, but every day it seems like that longing gets stronger and stronger and stronger. 
Let me ask you this. What are you hungry for? What are you longing for? Because I'm going to tell you, the things this world has to offer, that next drug, that next drink, that next high, that next party, that next whatever, fill in the blank, that next new car, that next this, that, or the other, none of that will satisfy. Only Jesus Christ in our lives, in a personal relationship, will fulfill that. Only righteous living. Church, Maranatha, he's coming soon. And if you look forward to his return, there's going to be a crown of righteousness awaiting us that long for his appearing. And then there's also this crown of glory for faithful pastors and ministers of the gospel that's talked about in 1 Peter 5, 4, and it's given to Christian clergy who shepherd the flock in unselfish love, being a good example to others. Man, there's a lot of pressure there. This is a high calling in which God has beckoned us to come and serve in this capacity, one that I don't take lightly. I know our pastoral staff does not take lightly, and we deal with it accordingly. We go before God in fear and trembling and say, Lord, lead us so we can lead our church. Lead us so we can be faithful models and examples of who you are here on this earth. Because one day I've got to stand before God and I've got to give an account for what I've done, not only as a Christ follower, but as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore, I've got to be on my face constantly. I've got to be crying out to God regularly saying, God, examine my heart. Keep me where you need me. Let me be pure before you. Not because I want to get a crown. because That's just a bonus. But I want to please God. I want to honor him. And I want to be one that did not lead astray anybody here on this earth while I lived my time here. Man, if every one of us who call on the name of Christ could, could live under that conviction, under that, that power of, of, of understanding what is at stake, man, how would it change us in our daily, every day, every moment lives? That crown of glory. And then lastly, there's a crown of life if you've ever suffered on the behalf of Christ. For those who are martyred, those who endure great hardships for Jesus Christ, there is actually a crown given to those who suffer for the glory and for the kingdom of God. I can see Stephen up there receiving that crown. John the Baptist with that crown. And lest we think we get up there and we get all these crowns and we strut around heaven going, check mine out. <laughs> you don't have five like I've got. You've only got one. <laughs> Look at you. Do you think that's going to be in heaven? No. I mean, the reality is when we get these crowns, we're just going to lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, you know what? I'm not worthy to receive these. Thank you for thinking of me in this way. But God, here they are yours and fall on our face before him and lay those crowns down. Because I tell you, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be that attitude of, I'm better than anybody else. There's going to be that attitude of, man, look what the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God has done to bring me to this amazing place. It was nothing of me except coming to Christ and forgive me because I am a sinner and I desperately need to be saved. That's what it's all about. But we're going to get some crowns, man. We're going to get some rewards. Not that we deserve it. But that's exactly what we're going to get. Folks, Jesus is coming. 
Pastor Scott laid out that timeline for us last week and walked us through the, the tribulation and, and, and the, the birth and the rise of the Antichrist and the battle of Armageddon and Satan being thrown in the bottomless pit and, and the first time he comes back, Jesus, and the second time, and all those things are happening. And I believe that we are really starting in the midst or maybe already started in, in the midst of this timeline being played out. I believe it with all my heart that one day, one day for non-Christians, there's going to be this great white throne judgment before God. I'm telling you, we're going to see all kinds of things happen. And it's a whole lot of stuff to, to try to put into a four-week study, but we're going to go deeper. Pastor Scott's been taking you deeper during the week and on some weekday chats, so just follow those. But now I just want to run to this place of, of what will heaven be like. I think a lot of people have this wrong picture of heaven thinking, you got to be bored there. you got to be just floating around and there's going to be these little chubby babies playing harps as we've seen displayed and like, I don't think so. How many of you think that's really going to be the, the, the heaven that we are in? I, I just don't buy that. So, so, so a lot of people have that misconception, but, but listen what God says in Revelation 21. He said that he is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth, verse 1 says. John says this. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So what happens, God establishes and creates a brand new earth without the curse of sin and a new heaven. And that's why many scholars believe, and I tend to agree with this also, that whatever you enjoy on earth, you'll enjoy in the new earth and the new heaven. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, think about that. The only difference is we will not be under the curse of sin. It will not be just, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with the Lord in paradise, uninterrupted fellowship with God in a perfect place. Man, I long for that. How about y'all? So whatever you love on earth, think of some of your favorite moments on earth. Heaven's going to be indescribably better than your greatest moment on earth. Think about your favorite place for just a moment. I've been able to go to Hawaii twice. I've been to some islands in the Caribbean on, on cruises like I mentioned earlier. And man, there's nothing like being out on the beach with that crystal clear water. The beauty of God's creation. And sometimes you get to see the ocean and the mountain at the same time like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Some of those are just the most amazing times I've ever experienced. Going to Hawaii and seeing the beauty of the islands just stuck out in the middle of the Pacific, man, all out there by themselves. At that, that thought has struck me time and time again when I go somewhere like that. How can heaven be even better than this? My finite mind can't even conceive that. For some of you, it might be, you might be saying, well, my favorite moments and times are, are being with my family. And i got to say, mine are too. With most of them. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest here. Some of them you, you kind of want to be around a long time. Some of them just a little bit. I'm, I'm just kidding. Well, maybe I'm not. But you, you get what I'm saying. There's so many incredible experiences on this earth that I think all of us have encountered. We, we went through some bad ones too, but just think of the good ones. And then try to realize that heaven's going to be multiplied times greater than any of those and anything we could imagine. Because the truth of the matter is the Bible tells us no eye has seen nor ear has heard what our God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. 
Can't even see it. Can't even imagine how incredibly amazing it's going to be. And the second thing about heaven is this. Never going to suffer again. On average, we receive probably about 8 to 12 prayer requests a week at this church. And that's not a ton. But it's more than what we want to have. And you say, well, that doesn't sound good. No, not that we don't want to pray for people. We just don't want people to be sick. We don't want people to struggle. We don't want them to hurt. But, but it's a part of the curse that we live under of sin when, when Adam and Eve fell and all that stuff that, that most of you know. But there's coming a day when there will be no more prayer requests. When we gather around the throne of God and worship in heaven and, and celebrate his goodness and, and nobody's going to stop and say, does anybody have any prayer requests right now? I mean, we do that every time we, we gather in this place for prayer. Before service, we stop and ask the team, anybody got a prayer need? And some pretty powerful things were shared this morning that we're praying for. And, and, and I, just, I just long for that time when we're together and we just, we're just around the throne of God. We're just celebrating out on the hillside and we're on the golf course in heaven. Amen. Yeah, I got Hunter excited finally. And we don't even think that there's anything we need. There's no issue, no suffering, no hurting, no cancer, no, no sickness, no, no corona. Woohoo! Thank you, Jesus. We curse that in Jesus' name. The mask mess and all that junk. Sick of it. And there's coming a day when the Bible says there will be no more suffering. And God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more tears. I guarantee some of you laid down at night one night this past week or this past month and tears streaming down your face because of what you're going through and the heartbreak and the pain that you're dealing with right now in your life. And God's saying there's going to be a day, there's going to be a time which is going to last forever when you'll never cry another tear. And some of you are saying, let it be because I'm just about cried out, I think. You say, Pastor, I can't even imagine that. You're right. We can't grasp that, but that's the promise of God. I can't grasp that I'm a sinner, that Jesus loves and paid for my sins himself so that I could be with him forever. I have a hard time grabbing a hold of that, but he did. No more suffering. No more pain. No more heartache. No more divorce. No more Stabbing each other in the back and hurting one another with words and, 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 and gossip and all that junk is going to be done away with. We will never suffer again. The old things are going to be passed away, the Bible says, and God is making all things new. No more death. No more separation. And then thirdly, we're promised that we will live with God forever. Back to Revelation 21.3. This is the 20th time this phrase is written in the book of Revelation. And it's the final time this phrase is written in Revelation. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. One commentary says that because it's the last time, it is of utmost importance and a great announcement from God in all of Revelation. If that's true, then I could see why it is. And the final time from the throne, there is this voice of God that says, Now God says, the dwelling of God is where? Where is that? With men. <laughs> where, where, where is he going to live? 
with men. He will live with us and we will be his people and God himself will be our what? Our God forever. And this is the final declaration from the throne as if God is saying, finally, it's done, it's restored, it's back to the way that I created it, it is the way that I wanted it, my children are with me, I am with them, we are together forever. Now I know some of you when you were in middle school used to write those little notes about you and your little boyfriend and girlfriend. Joni loves Chachi forever. It's cool, man. I mean, love. They're not even together anymore. I read an article in People Magazine. I'm just kidding. We talk about forever. We don't even have a concept of what that is. But here God says, I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. We're going to be together. Whoop, how long? Forever. (laughs) Mind blown. Some of you parents in here, you understand that concept. Especially when your children get older. They start scattering. Now, some of you have prayed for that for a long time. Lord, please. Please. I love them. But they're always right there under my foot. But I'm telling you, when they're gone, it's like part of you is just, just pulled out. And you think about them daily. You pray for them often. Sometimes it gets to the point that the only way you get them back is if you promise to cook them dinner, their favorite food, and, and have dessert with it, and you know, please come over. Listen, we are God's children. He loves us as our Father, and He longs to be with us, and His promise to us is this, folks. When we are His, we get to be His forever. Man, don't you love that, that promise, that that's going to be heaven, being with God for all of eternity. But, but now, as we, we wrap this up, here, here's the rub. Over the last number of years, and maybe it's been longer than, than that, I, I don't know. It may have been forever. Look at me. Don't lose me right now. Hold your hand up. Tell me you're with me right now. Okay, okay. Get that hand. I'm just kidding. Oh, everybody's good. Okay, here's the rub. When someone dies, doesn't matter how they've lived their life, in our day and time. Have you noticed one thing has become the norm? Well, they're in a better place now. Yep. Well, I, I know they lied and cheated and stole. And they never really had a relationship with Christ, but they're in a better place now. They're going up yonder. Everybody thinks everybody goes to heaven. Is that kind of what you've picked up on? Or is it just me? You ever been sitting in a funeral service? And they're describing this person. You're like, who are they talking about? Because it's not Joe. I know Joe. I knew Joe. We've known each other for 30 years. He was awful. I mean, he did it all and never gave one thought to Jesus Christ. But now he's in heaven? That seems to be the overwhelming mentality, but Jesus actually says something very, very different. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction of many people. A lot of people will enter through the wrong gate, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a 
few will find it. So, boy, that just doesn't mesh with kind of everybody's mentality. So, so how, how does that work? I, I don't understand. Well, here's the thing about it. Many people think heaven is the default. That when you die on this side of the, the world, this planet that you live on, and I live on right now, that when we draw our last breath here, we automatically go to heaven. That it's the default, that everybody goes to heaven. All dogs go to heaven, right? It's, it's a movie. I hope not. Some of them I would rather not see there, but that's a whole different story for another day. But heaven is not the default. Actually, hell is. Because the Bible says if anyone's not found written in the book of life, guess what? They are not going to heaven. If anyone's sins were not covered by Christ, that confession unto salvation was not made by that person, if anyone was judged by their works alone and not by the perfect work of Jesus Christ, if their name is not found written in the book of life, as the Bible tells us, then guess what? They are thrown into the lake of cool water. No, fire. That's the default destination. But hear this today loud and clear as we finish. That is exactly the reason why Jesus Christ came to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins at Calvary's cross. That's why he died and rose again back to life. He raised back to life on the third day to defeat death, hell, and the grave once and for all. Everybody who would come and call on the name of Jesus. So the beauty of this is that we do not have to face the fire. We do not have to lose our lives for eternity. We don't have to go to a place that was never created for us. There is a heaven to gain, as the old preachers used to say, and a hell to shun. And I'm telling you something that's as true today as the first time I heard it over 50 years ago. Why? Not because I said it, or not because Preacher Smith or Preacher Jones said it, because Jesus himself said those words to us over and over again. And it wasn't a metaphor. It wasn't some spooky spirituality that kind of warning you to be a good person so you'll get better rewards. No, it's the gospel truth of what is there awaiting everyone. Heaven or hell. Don't be in that judgment. Choose Jesus now and forever. Because if you'll just close your eyes with me for a moment... The facts are these. Jesus is coming soon. Judgment is coming with him. Rewards are coming with him. And I ask everyone who is in this room and who is watching right this moment, how is all of that looking for you personally? Because it's going to happen. No one will escape the end. Nobody. Just not possible. Ask you right now with your eyes closed for just a moment in this room, how are you with Jesus Christ? And, and if you would say, Pastor, you know what? This is not some scary thing. It's, it's just an invitation to his love to cover your sins, to cleanse you, to make you a new creation to change your life. And if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need that. I need to surrender my life to Christ right now. Would you just raise your hand across this room, no matter where you've been, what you've done, what the past is like. Yes, yes, thank you. Anybody else, just slip your hand up and say, pray for me. I choose Jesus. Yes, sir. Anybody else? 
Here's the thing that's been on my heart big time in the last several days especially. I've been going back listening to some old, old music the last couple of days that, that really helped push me, helped minister to me, helped challenge me. As a brand new Christian, I mean really sold out to Christ in, in the mid-80s. Mid and the overwhelming theme of, of, of many of these songs was the fact that Jesus is coming again and that we are called and commissioned to go out and share that with everybody we can. And as I, I was listening to a lot of those songs and the, that music and, and just going back and in my mind, in my heart, I was in youth group then, man. I remember the fire of God in our youth group. And I remember partnering with another youth group in this very town. I was in Gastonia. This other church was here in Belmont. And I remember that each of our youth groups had about 60, 70, 100 kids at different times. And man, it seemed like just about everybody in the youth groups, both youth groups were just on fire for Jesus Christ. That we were sharing our faith. We were going downtown Charlotte. We were going downtown Gastonia. We were sharing faith in our schools to our friends, to everybody in our neighbors, everybody that would listen. Give us a time of day. We were sharing Jesus Christ. And I remember thinking, God, this is how I want to live the rest of my life. And as I was sitting on the porch yesterday morning after going for a run, listen to some of that old music again I just had tears well up in my eyes and I thought about what the last 30 plus years have looked like for for me for so many of my friends and people that were a part of those youth groups where they are right now and one thing that became overwhelmingly tragically clear was that so many so many of those folks seemingly have lost the fire of God and the heart to evangelize but it's no surprise because life happens to all of us most of us can relate to that very same thing that you remember coming to Christ. You remember surrendering your life. You remember tears flowing down your face and, and the Holy Spirit invading your life to the point that you just felt like, man, I could go out and preach to the entire world. Give me an opportunity. And you shared and loved and prayed and, 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 and sought God with everything you had. Your face was in your Bible. Tears were staining the pages of the Word. You were so hungry for the presence and the power of God, and you wanted that in your life and everybody else's life you came into contact with. But a funny thing called life happens. And over time, if we're not extremely careful, it saps. It saps that fire of God out of us. It diminishes the flame Folks, I was reminded yesterday, this week, the things that really matter are Jesus Christ, Him crucified, Him raised on the third day. He's coming back again soon. We've got to be ready, and we've got to get as many people as possible ready for His return, ready to meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I ask us in this room today, I ask us outside of this room right now, how are we doing with that? Where are we with Jesus in our lives? 
It's the fire burning bright. And I'm not saying we have to be out there just running the streets and all that, but I'm saying we need to be ignited by the Holy Spirit to live in that holy passion and that holy fire and empowered by the Holy Spirit to love and share and give and grow and go and serve and put everything else behind us because it really, and it really compared to eternity, none of that stuff really matters. Only one life to live and only what's done for Christ will count. So maybe if you're like me and you say, I need to find a place at the altar, do some business with God. As we begin to worship Him again, this altar is open. Would you come and join me and find a place to say, God, I surrender fresh and new right now. Come and light the fire in my heart. Come and live big through me, God. Change me. Help me. Let me be that light. Would you come now and find a place? Just surrender it all to Him now. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.